I'm Andy Chrisman, and for the past four decades, I have found myself in the middle of the phenomenon that is the Christian music industry. From my years recording and touring the world as one of the guys in For Him, to my years as a megachurch worship pastor, and for the past 16 years, I've been hosting a radio show called Worship with Andy Chrisman, heard on 500 stations around the world every week. And because of all this, I've been blessed with a unique perspective. I've toured with, recorded with, and become friends with just about everyone that's responsible for the music that plays on Christian radio and sung in churches everywhere. I think that makes me the perfect person to share their stories with you here on One Degree of Andy. This episode is sponsored by Yellowbox. Yellowbox is a full-service creative agency and an extension of creative teams all across the nation. Whether you need a brand identity developed or a video team capturing your event, Yellowbox can help. They cover everything from web development and design to video production and strategy. Yellowbox comes alongside your team on whatever creative projects you might be working on to see them through to their fullest potential. If you want to know more about them, follow them on social media at HelloYellowbox or send them an email at hello at yellowbox.co. You absolutely cannot tell the story of Christian music without Cindy Morgan. Yes, she's had more than 20 number one songs as an artist and a songwriter, but she was and is so much more. She began her career around the same time as we, for him, did back in the early 90s. And I just always remember being excited to hear your new album, to see you perform. You're always amazing. And I personally think you have one of the most distinguished voices in CCM history, not only as a singer, but as a poet. And I'm so glad to have you on the One Degree of Andy podcast, the incomparable singer-songwriter, Cindy Morgan. Oh, man, what a nice intro. <laughs> oh, yeah. Live up to that, why don't you? Oh, I know, right? <laughs> it's all downhill from here. Uh, <laughs> so I remember, so I, I have I have memories of us crossing paths. Did we tour together? Yeah, did we, do we some, did. I think well, we did. you guys were there on one of my very first tours, which I think was the Young Messiah tour. <gasps> wow. Right. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That you you cannot believe how many times the Young Messiah tour comes up in these conversations. It was such a, yeah. It's like so many, so many spider webs back to those, those moments. So what would that have been? Ninety two, ninety three. That's about right. Yeah, and it was my first. I mean, because you know, I mean, I just was like fresh out of the holler and. And, you know, everybody's trying to get their artist on that big tour because it's there's such a huge exposure because mm-hmm. it's an arena tour and what, like 20,000 people a night. And so it was a great way to introduce a new artist, you know, or to get a, an artist with a single. So I just remember <laughs> it was just like, what? I mean, I just was like so intimidated and sandy I did a trio with Sandy and Larnell. Oh, wow. Larnell Harris. And it's like a big, long story, but the, the, but I don't read music. But as some, a lot of people, I mean, Sandy and Larnell, of course, are masters at reading. And, but that every valley, we sang every valley. And it was so complicated. And there was this one little part where I was like, I just don't know. I I don't know where the the my the, the third is on that, and I'm getting it wrong. And it was like two nights. It would this one little section. It would happen, and I would see it on their faces because it was wrong. <laughs> and Sandy was like avoiding me because, and 
And anyway, and she came into the gym and I was like listening on the Walkman to that stupid song, trying to figure out what that note was that I was getting wrong. And she came into the gym, the hotel, you know, gym. Uh-huh. And, 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 and immediately she sees me and she's like, you know, it's like, oh no, her again. She wants to practice that song that I don't want to practice. And I was like, do you know what this I'm playing right now? I'm playing every valley because I don't read music. And so I literally don't know how to, what that note is right there. What I want it to be right. Cause you guys are singing it right. And I'm singing it wrong. And I want it to be right. She goes, Oh honey, it's okay. I know I've been avoiding it, but we'll go over it on the bus. And of course we <laughs> went over it on the bus on the way to sound check. And then it was right. But anyway, Oh, it was so intimidating. Oh, those two, those two just are such legends. And I, I know that feeling too, of getting up on stage with man, Steve green and Wayne Watson and, Steven and BB and CC, you yeah. know, just some of those memories are just like, I can't believe I'm here. And everybody I talked to that was a part of those, just like, what am I doing here? Like, yeah. this is, this is just crazy. Who is on your, who is on that artist bus? Okay. See, my artist bus had uh, Twilight Paris, Michael English, um, anointed. Oh, wow. Um, I think our dog yeah. is barking. I'm sorry. It's okay. Uh, can you hear it? Is it okay? Yeah, no, no, it's fine. Pay no attention to the barking dog. Yeah. And then I think, I think we had a couple of the lot. Yeah. So yeah. Twyla, Michael English and anointed and me and one other person. I can't remember who it was, but yeah. Yeah. Um, I remember the, the bus riding days. We, we've told the story that a couple of different artists of, of uh, Carmen being on our bus and always wanting to watch fight videos every night, right after the, right after the show. And there's so many personalities. I mean, you kind of get a, you, you get a little bit of a crash course on yeah. being around these really big personalities. They all love Jesus and they're all committed to the ministry, but it takes a big personality and a lot of, of, uh, what would you call it? Uh, mm-hmm. you, you have to be bigger than life to be able to live in that, in that arena just a little yeah. bit. I think it's definitely an alpha male, alpha mm-hmm. female position to yeah. be able to, kind of want to hold that space that's I think it's definitely takes a lot of um confidence probably maybe even though oftentimes that is uh, that is like saddled equally with insecurity but um it's a strange thing I want to say that you you have one of my favorite voices like because I am a sucker for a tenor Mm -hmm. male tenor voice and so I just love oh my gosh that song you guys did on the um, on the utmost for his highest. Yeah, the only thing I need. Gosh, I, oh, I just your vocal on that song was so oh, good. Oh, you're so kind. You were, well, you were, you were singing that with the guy from Yes. Yeah, right? John Anderson. Uh huh. Oh my goodness. Yeah, crazy. yeah, crazy story. You know, uh, that song had the potential to be one of the biggest songs in our career, and yeah. uh, there were a, when it released. I think it was the first single off that album. And the uh, it just flew off the charts because it was a unique sound for us. First time we'd worked with Brent Bourgeois yeah. and he went on to produce the next record for us. And uh, it it stalled on two stations, two big networks. I won't tell you which ones they were, but two really big Christian music networks because they found out John Anderson wasn't a Christian. And in fact, he was he worshipped like Mother Earth or 
some lady in Hawaii and some listeners were calling in going, how can you put this on Christian radio? And they canned it. And um, this was on, it was a word project. And I remember they called me, I was living in Orlando at the time. They called me and said, we got to fly you up today and re-record all of the, all of John Anderson's leads and then put it back out to radio. But then yeah. by the time they got it released again, as a different single, the heat was off of it. And, yeah. but I get more comments on that song, probably than, you know, even more than basics of life and future yeah. generations and stuff that people hear that even today for the first time and just go, wow, what a song. But I think that's that a lot of that's just the, what Brent did with that. And I know you're a big part of that album as well. That was, that was such a, I love doing those, those compilation projects. Yeah. So fun. And Brent, of course, I, I went, I, I, um, Brent produced, I, Brent produced Listen for Me, which was the record. Oh yeah. That, that Mark Hammond left and, and, and I needed a new, so I went to Brent to ask him to produce a record for me. That was a bunch of singer songwriters. It was kind of when I'd, Kind of drew my little line in the sand and said, uh-huh. I'm not going to do dance music anymore. The dance <laughs> music days are over for me. I'm not wearing a headset. I kind of forgot because, you know, I've been I've been listening to your catalog this week and I kind of forgot how dancey those first two records were. Yeah, um, I was I was a little bit shocked, even though there were some big powerhouse ballads on there that you became known for. I was like, oh, yeah, I kind of forgot that was the that was the style. Was that your call or was that the label's call to kind of go that direction with you? Uh, no, it was totally the label's call. And that I think they, um, John Mays, who's my AR mm-hmm. guy, he's awesome. I mean, oh, John's just, great. Yeah. Such an amazing AR guy. Still is such an amazing AR guy. And, um, you know, I mean, I someone, a friend of mine, Kirk Talley, who was a big Southern gospel icon at that point, he sent. Uh, he sent a a demo, you know, a demo of that I'd done at, for, at a studio that I worked at um, to John. And basically they were, they were, they found my, they didn't know I wrote, they didn't know I was a writer. And so they were interested in my voice. And, um, and so I think they saw me as uh, like, if you like, remember that the Christian thing they did, if you like Janet Jackson, yep. If you like Mariah Carey, you'll like. And yep. so I was in the. If you like Janet Jackson and Mariah Carey, you'll like Cindy Morgan, you know. And so, but then I, I, I was like, but I really want to write something. And so that's where I got my shot to write. How I could I ask for more? Which, in rest- retrospect, you look. That's not how you're remembered for that. And that's so crazy to me that. But your voice could totally go there. I mean, uh, you know, I said it in the intro, you have one of my favorite voices in Christian yeah. music. I mean, it just, I'm just going back, going, jumping in a time machine going, wow, I forgot. Not, not how great you were, but the, the, the quality of your voice, the way you could do, you could do R and B, you could do that soulful thing with your voice. And it sounded natural in Christian music and for the music that you were writing and producing. Well, you know, and I, I think, you know how we're just products of, of what we're absorbing. And I think that I was in the, in the eighties. Um, I mean, there was a lot of, I mean, Whitney Houston, Mariah Carey, there was such a, a Janet Jackson. I was listening to 
I was also listening to, you know, a lot of the great bands of the 80s as well. But I think, you know, I'm a female vocalist, so I'm obviously, I'm going to lean in harder. And I was, I was listening to a lot of Anita Baker. And so. Oh, yeah. So those, those R&B influences really influenced me um, at that time. And so, but I think that I'm from East Tennessee. My roots are very much in like folk and Americana and bluegrass. And so when I listened to those first records, I don't know my voice because I was like sporting that super covered tone that Anita Baker, you know, it's all. Yeah. it's all up in the roof of your mouth i don't hate it right you know but now i wouldn't do that because i i i to me i listened to those first records and it was like i was really i was trying to discover who my voice and my artistry and um and i and and they had you know to go back to your original question john mays he had this hotshot new producer Mark Hammond who was doing all these cool tracks and he was a programmer and a great drummer and um and a writer and so I was the voice for Mark Hammond's tracks and I think me writing How Could I Ask For More was like oh whoa 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 hold on hold on that's okay we didn't know about that and so and that was a little bit of me saying no I, I don't really want to be a dance artist and of course and then the, the next records changed you know uh, accordingly and then um but you know I had very little say in that first record I was Grant Grant Hubbard remember him mm-hmm, he wrote yeah. a lot of hits for you guys God rest his soul and so he wrote a lot on that first record and as did Jeffrey um Benward. No, Jeff, um, um, Jeff, Thurman. Jeff Thurman. Jeff, Jeff Thurman, Thurman, yeah. Real life, he wrote, mm-hmm. he and his wife Becky wrote. Yeah, he wrote a lot for us too in the early days. Yeah. So all that to say, I mean, you know, you're young and, you know, you're earning the right in a way to have a place on the record as a writer. And that's good. And so I had to learn, I had to learn to top line, right? You know, you're writing to like the specific melody and, so, but anyway, back to Brent Bourgeois, when John left and Mark left both at the same time, oh, I love that Brent Bourgeois record that Charlie Peacock co-produced with Brent, Come Join the Living World. Mm-hmm. So I went to Brent's house and said, I have all these songs because I had been writing these little like piano singer songwriter songs the whole time that I was at Word, but they just were too artsy for, you know, what we were doing with Mark and, um, so anyway, those are the songs that became the Listen record, which was the first record that Brent Bourgeois produced. And then he, of course, became my A&R director and became one of the heads of A&R for Word um, because of that, basically because we, you know, he got introduced to Word and, of course, they all figured out how brilliant he was. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, it's a shame he didn't stay in Nashville a little bit longer. And that's a whole other story. I'm, in fact, I'm, I'm going to have him on the podcast here in just that's a few weeks awesome. and have a conversation. I love that guy. I just, I love that there are so many different stories from that era and, and we'll get to this in just a little bit, but also, you know, the, the, what's happened after, which is what I think we really want to celebrate. We want to celebrate what was 
And I don't know if you if if you're like me. I there was a season I kind of laid all that down. You know, it got to a point where I'm like, okay, for him is over for I don't know. We're, we're still together. I mean, we still do some things here and there. Yeah. But but the machine of for him was over. And then you try to find that next thing. You try to find what's your purpose? What's you know, what's God have for you next? Where where does my my talent and my ability, natural ability take me and my natural tendencies? You know, what, what, what does that lead me into? And you kind of want to lay down what was past so you can pick up something new. But then there comes a time where you go back and go, you know what? That actually was some really good stuff, some really great relationships, some really great art that I was a part of. But what we're doing now, me, you, everybody else that I've had on this podcast, to me is some of the most interesting um, discussion and conversation that I've had on this podcast. And so I, I, what I want to know from you is where was that turn? Uh, at what point did you realize, because we, again, every artist has a career arc and you, you, you have singles on the radio, you have albums that are doing well, you're winning awards and then something happens, something turns, you know? Um, and uh, I think for, 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 for him, it was just, we got tired. <laughs> you know, it was tour, 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 make a record, tour, 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 make a record. And I think we just all got kind of emotionally and and mentally worn out and decided to do something else. Was there was that some does how was how was that for you? Like at what yeah. point did you realize I think I need to make a change here and do something different? Yeah. I think um mine was a dual creative and uh, personality meets life kind of uh, change all kind of merging into one um, you know just to look at word in, in particular um, uh, in, in the moment there was a moment at word when some things there was a lot of turnover there was yeah. a lot of turnover I think we were there around the same time yeah, we had we had yeah. finished our deal with Benson and then did a few records with Word and it was That's everything right. was really starting to shift and change. Yeah, when Roland Lundy left, I was like, it's, it was like the heart of the company died. Hmm. It's my in my opinion, Roland Lundy was, uh, you know, there aren't many leaders like Roland Lundy, and so I think when when Roland left, it was like, I don't know. I, it's just like everything changed and it, there, it was, it felt rudderless to me. Um, and then they went through all of these, Oh, now this person's going to run. Oh no, this was, it's like, it was like, Oh my gosh. Like, it was almost like every six, six or eight months. It was changing something different. Yeah. And, and, and to me, I just, it was rudderless and, mm -hmm. and, and the life of a touring artist is already rudderless because it's like you're living out a suitcase on a, on a bus. So you, you have like in the days, in the good days of word, John Mays, you know, Roland, Lauren Ballman, um, Dean Arvidson, um, you know, there were just so many uh, great people there. Um, word was like a home. Like everyone, I remember Roland Lundy would knew uh, Roland Lundy held a Bible study or Bible uh, Bible study kind of Devo chapel service. Like I think I don't know if it was every 
every every Monday or something, but at least once a week, and everybody attended. And if if the guy in the mail room had a birthday, there was a cake, uh-huh. and everyone was singing happy birthday. So it was just such a it was a it was a company that really celebrated the smallest person to the most important person you know we could uh, feel that you know i i love all my friends at benson and we had a great run there and then after i think you know two or three times it was bought and sold bought and sold leadership change you talk about the rudderless thing we we always looked over at our friends at word and just was like man that just feels you're you nailed it It felt like a family it felt like that that there was a yeah there's a sense of community there that the the four of us will look at and just go, wow, that would be, that would be cool. cool. I would would love, I would love to be over there for a season. And and then by the time we got there, it was like, yeah, (laughs) everything's starting to change. I know. I know. And that's, and so for me, I was like, because I'd been there in the golden age of word, it was like, oh, you know, it was just like, it was like watching your home church be torn down. I mean, Mm. it was just terrible. And so I, and then at the same time I'd gotten married and then, um, you know, the, my, my first husband, who was my daughter, you know, who's the father of my daughters now, um, he, he, he lived in Canada. So I was doing this commute from Canada to Nashville. And then we, and so that was a little tricky. And then I got pregnant I remember getting finding out I was pregnant with our with our first daughter um, on the Rocket Town tour. Um, oh, wow! Because my Jenny Owens was my was my roommate, and so her bunk was right across from mine. And you know, of course, she's Jenny is blind, and so she's one of my best friends. And she, so her hearing really is really really good. And so I remember I would before I would get out of the bunk, I would like. I would chew on like saltines because I was so sick. What you know, waking up on a moving bus. She's like, girl, across the you know the barrier of the bus, you know, with the bunks. Yeah, chewing. <laughs> but anyway, I found out I was pregnant, and by the time I had um, Olivia, and and I got my offer for the first tour, I thought, oh my goodness, do I want to raise my baby on a tour bus and all that was going on at word. It just seems so, again, I just felt like I just need, I need stability. And so I talked with my publisher at word at the time, which was Sean McSpadden, who was mm-hmm. great. Love Sean. Yeah, He's love Sean. Big, big manager now and doing so well, but I just said, Hey, I would like to kind of push pause on um and I, and, I, and Lauren Ballman I talked to him about it as well for the re- the record side I want to push pause on my record contract and I just want to write and I'd actually like to move to LA and write in LA and because uh Judy Stake who was the head of Warner Brothers who owned Word said if you come to LA you can write for me and so so then we I got an apartment in LA and so I had you know my little baby and so we were commuting from Canada to LA um, and really to write full time for a season to me, because writing was always like the first love for me. And um, so I guess it was that was it. Having a baby word kind of going crazy and um, 
and just feeling like I also wanted to write outside the Christian music market because I felt like that's all I was writing. And so I wanted to, I just wanted to be challenged to write with people who didn't believe what I believed and, um, and, and still bring Jesus to it. You know, I mean, C.S. Lewis says there's no way to write a boil. There's no Christian way to boil an egg. You know, you just boil the egg. And so there's no Christian way to write a song. You just write a good song. And if you are a Christian, then, I mean, I think the spirit of God dwells within that piece of work. And um, so that was that was my situation. So did when you move I, to L.A.? So I moved to L.A. and I wrote out there um, for Judy's sake at Warner Chapel for a couple of years and had some great experiences, got some good cuts and you know, not awesome, but good. And, yeah. um, but then I got pregnant again and the idea of having a baby out in LA was like, no. So, I mean, you, like, if you wanted to like rent a hole in the wall house, it, it was like five grand a month and like a million dollars to buy. I mean, it's, the, 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 the real estate there is just, it's yeah. ridiculous. It's almost that way in Nashville now. Oh, I know. So, so, so we moved, we kind of, we moved back to Nashville and just did our commute from Nashville to Canada. And so, um, so yeah. And then, then I started, then once my girls were a little older, I started doing independent records again, which was good. And um, because I'd kind of, I kind of figured out kind of where I was landing musically and um, yeah. And I had grown a lot as being for being a staff writer, you know, because writing as a staff writer is different than writing as an artist. Because if you're the artist writer, you have the veto. But if you're right. a staff writer, you have to compete with everyone else. Mm -hmm. Well, and let me just say, for one, I'm glad that you were a staff writer when I went in to make my solo record because I, uh, Word was thinking about signing me and put me in a room with you and Sean Shankle. That's and really, I don't know if you remember this, but yeah. you have a you have a cut on my solo record, a song yes. called The One. And yes. I have to say, I was it was most one of the most intimidating moments of my life because it was the first first of all, I'm with, with you and Sean in the room, uh, just giants of songwriters. And I I brought in like, I don't know, 15 starts, and I felt really good about them. Mm -hmm. And we started around 10 o'clock in the morning and I went through all 15 of them. And you both looked at me and went, you got anything else? I was like, oh, God, oh, mercy. Man, oh, no. So, you know, so oh, sorry. no, no, you weren't, you weren't. You were just that was your job. You're looking for something to inspire you. And we I remember Sean going, let's just go to lunch. Let's go to lunch and just, you know, we'll, we'll forget about this for a minute. We'll come back, see if something happens. So we go to lunch. Pretty, pretty sure we had Thai food, came back and he said, hey, bring up that song, The One again. And so we, we and then you started writing. And this is where this is one of the greatest memories I have of you is the the phrases that fell out of your mouth. I was just like, I'm not a songwriter. That's a songwriter. That's that's poetry. The the things that you were saying, I'm like, I could have never written that. I mean, that to me, that was that was the first time. And you know, of course, I've been around Mark Harris my entire career, and what a great songwriter he is. Guys like Dave Clark and Don Cook and you know Michael O'Mardian and uh, Brent and oh, all of these you know, Tony Wood, all these guys that just are just really 
like real songwriters. And the first time I go into, you know, do a songwriting session, I'm in with real songwriters for, you know, and it, it just floored me. And I, that's after, after the terror subsided and we wrote a great song. We did. Uh, I, I look back at that moment and just go, I have a real healthy appreciation for people who give their lives to being songwriters because they're great at it. And uh, I'm, you know, I love listening to your newer stuff because I hear that. I hear that singer songwriter more than ever before, because like you said, you have veto power now and you can, you can say what you want to say. You can make the music you want to make. And uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm so glad you're still doing what you're doing. Thank you. Oh man. Well, that's, um, I mean, I'm glad you're, I'm glad that, first of all, that you've made me remember that writing appointment and Sean Shankle. I haven't heard of him. I haven't thought of him <laughs> in so long, but um, man, that's so good. That makes it, I got to go find that song. I got to go listen to it again. But well, you know, I think that um, I think everybody has their kind of comfort area where yeah. it's like, they feel like when I do this, I feel that I have come home to myself and and uh, and I think um, I think you know for me I do I as much, I love I love melody I do I'm such a but there is something for me about words that really do kind of um, it's just like it just turns it turns my heart on you know it just my heart just comes alive with language but and you know I don't know if you know about um, the novel that I just released. Yeah, I wanted to get to that. Okay, well, we'll get to that. But anyway, yeah. but I think that being a songwriter, you know, for, I guess, 30 years, I think in a way it kind of it laid the groundwork for that for me. But um, anyway, yeah. So, yeah, let's let's transition now to the to your writing. I mean, this is not your it's not your first book, but is it your first novel that you've written? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yes, it is. So I wrote uh, kind of uh, a kind of mini memoir a few years, uh, like several years ago, like called Barefoot on Barbed Wire. And then like, I mean, like 20 years ago, I wrote this kind of mini memoir called Barefoot on Barbed Wire. And then I wrote a more comprehensive kind of memoir called, uh, it's, it was like a memoir devotional called um, How Could I Ask for More? And um, it was kind of named after the song, but, um, but anyway, and, and I think, and I also uh, kind of under, very under the radar, uh, there's a publisher in Canada that did, uh, the fiction publisher in Canada that did these limelight series, which were like creative, like books, like many novellas about something creative. And so I wrote, two like novellas for them about a girl who comes to Nashville to get signed as a, <laughs> as a recording artist. And so Who's that uh, about? And uh, well, it wasn't, but it was a country music artist. And so it was, it was definitely, it was fiction totally, but it was based on some of the things that I've seen just in writing and country music and some mm -hmm. of the things that I've just from, you know, writing with a lot of new artists and country music and some of the stories that I've heard, but, 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 you know, the year of Jubilee it is absolutely the first, like, completely comprehensive, you know, 350 page novel uh, that, you know, and, um, and I mean, it's, 
that it is inspired by a true event um, that happened in my family and inspired by the, the death of my brother who died uh, a week shy of his fifth birthday. Um, and just kind of the aftermath of that and, and, um, and kind of what happened during, you know, his, his time in the hospital and, and my mother and father and how it impacted their lives and their faith and how that impacted us. And, but, uh, but it is a work of fiction. You know, my family can see the threads of, uh oh. The, the 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 hounds are unhappy. It's okay. Uh, uh, but anyway, but um, yeah, and I think that I definitely wanted to house that in a fiction setting because I feel like you can really explore scenarios. What should we do? Can can I can I? No, no, just keep going. It's okay. Is it okay? I, it's it's real life. People it's real people, life. people feel like they're sitting. At your house right now, and your dogs are barking dog. at something out the window. It happens it's, to me all the time. My, usually, my, my dog. Usually, my I've got two dogs. I've got like a thirteen-year-old pug who all he does is sleep, and and his tongue hangs way out. But then we've got this little Shih Tzu that's like you know eight <laughs> pounds, and she usually is curled Angry. up behind me. Oh yeah, yeah. and oh. she likes to be in the office with me. But if if a rabbit's jumping by the window, by the it's window. like okay, let's push pause and we'll start over. So it's not a big deal. No. Okay. All right. Um, yeah, so anyway, but I just always felt like I want I had the story in me to write about um, what happened with Samuel, who's my brother. And um, and so it it's taken I, I wrote the prologue, which is actually my first memory as a child was um, lifting. My dad lifted me onto his shoulders and I lifted my brother's pet rooster. Uh, up to the window of his hospital room so he could see his pet rooster and me before he died. Mm-hmm. And that's my first memory as a child. I was three and a half. And, um, and so that's the prologue, which I wrote uh, about 17 years ago. And then I waited, I, I wrote a bunch of stuff, which was terrible. And then I stopped. And then 10 years ago, I began again. And I kept the prologue through us through everything else out and started again with just the prologue and what and, and worked with um, worked with several editors, but but in the end worked with one main editor in New York and um, through through most of the process and then and then it got signed to Tyndale House Publishers in Chicago and then worked with Sarah Reich, who is their editor there. And so it was a lot of work, um, like 21 drafts. Wow. Yeah, 21 drafts of a 350-page novel is like a lot of work. Wow. How long did it take? Uh, How long did it take to finish it? 10 years. Wow. 10 years. Yeah, because it's like I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't yeah. have a plot when I started. I didn't know what I was doing. And so there are all these mistakes you make along the way that – that you have to you have to rewrite you have to oh you pull this thread that character changes or that character disappears and you have to go back to the book and <laughs> and take them out of yeah. every scene you know every yeah. reference it's just you know but i loved it i, I love doing it and i think it, it's helped me the songwriting helped me to learn to be a novelist and that the language mm-hmm. stephen king has a great book on writing called Stephen King on writing, which is really just about his life and how he became a writer. But one of the things he said 
was that uh, the reason he wanted to write a book about writing was because no one ever talked about the language. And I think for me, the language and the prose of, of writing is very important. Of course, we learn that because, because of, we're songwriters, you know, we learn about prose and, and about just like word choice and how important that is. And so I think I love that about fiction writing, but I also, you know, you can't write a song about anything. I mean, like every, you know, the whole hook thing, it's like, you have to be able to land some that this, like yeah. this final, you know, small nugget of gold that just lands and, and the, and the listeners like, Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. You absolutely. Know, and if you let me come in, I swear I'll leave. It won't take nothing but a memory from the house that built me. You know, it's like the whole, mm. everything is just so satisfying when you reach that point. Not a, you can't do that. And with, you can't create a hook out of anything for a song, but in fiction, you can write a fiction story about almost anything. And, um, and the exploration of human behavior and cause and effect and like why people, why people do what they do. I mean, and the anthropology of writing uh, fiction is very interesting to me. I can't wait to read it. The Year of Jubilee. Mm -hmm. And it's available now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So everybody listen yeah, to this yeah. podcast, go get it. Let's all read it together. Let's let's. <laughs> and it's yeah. on Audible. It's it's a it's an enhanced Audible experience. And so I I also wrote a soundtrack that's gonna. Oh wow. I'm still working on it, but yeah. But it's kind of written from the perspective of the different characters in the novel. But anyway, so if you're that's really person, cool. Yeah. So so it's on Audible as well. And you've just produced the new Point of Grace project. I had the girls yeah. on a few weeks ago. Yeah. How fun was that? Oh my gosh. Well, you know, those girls are just a party. They yeah, walk they are. party has arrived. So <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. They were so great. I just loved working with them. I'm so impressed by them, just the way they've kept their focus and keep going and taking their audience with them. They're yeah. just, you know, I've we've uh, obviously all of us go way back with them. And it's just so cool to continue to see collaboration from artists from that era still doing what they do really well and, and even in different ways. And yeah, that, that's so cool. What else is on the horizon for you? Are you, are you going to continue to produce and write music? Are you, do you feel like, you know, yeah. you just got a lot oh. of different, a lot of different tools on in your belt? Yeah. You know, I, I mean, I can't imagine not, um, you know, not writing songs and not working in the studio. I I love I think for me, production, like, a, you know, it depends on, I have to kind of have a real strong connection with the artist or with what they want to do and feel like I could bring something to the table. I mean, I think with the girls, especially that project, you know, the nostalgia of taking some old songs and kind of reimagining them and, uh, you know, like Wes King, it was so fun to have him in. Oh, and man, Wes. Redid his song. Yeah. Uh, I another guy from the, another guy from those young messiah tours that's as right well. yeah that's right so but yeah i i want to keep going i mean i think um i think the challenge you know is probably just committing t a certain time to um to certain projects and so i um so you know it's like okay th these months i'm gonna in the studio you know working on a project for myself or producing something for someone else 
And then like right now I'm in, I'm in book promo mode and I'm also working on my next novel. And so um, while I'm, you know, still working on the soundtrack for this one. So I think we're all just wearing lots of hats and we're trying to schedule it and juggle it the best we can. But yeah, I mean, I, I could never leave music and songwriting behind. I could never, it's just a part of my DNA is, is it is for you. I know. And like, I don't know how to leave that behind. Yeah, I'm the same way. I'll drag, it, drag it along. <laughs> that's right. It's just it's part of who you are. It's made you who you are now. You won't. You're not who you are now with those past experiences. Okay, so I hate questions like this. This is not a rapid fire question, but uh, I always hate when when people interview me and I and like, what's your favorite food? Um, is there? <laughs> I'm not going to ask you your favorite food. And I apologize to the oh, podcasters I, who have asked me that question. And I just, I, mean, I just make I, fun of them. Well, okay. No. Desert Island food. I will say, I can tell you my desert island. It's food. really not my question, but if Death you want to answer it, go food. ahead. Death <laughs> is the blackened chicken with Alfredo um, with a, with a, like a really good uh, Mediterranean salad with like a side of basil. Oh my gosh. Where do you get that? Like, where's your go-to place for that? Is there a place in well, Carolina? There's a, there's a small, no, there's a small restaurant in my town where I live in. And there's, there's this little tiny little Italian restaurant where these two sisters, these are two Italian sisters run it. It's so good. Oh my so, gosh. I have a similar, I have a similar Italian dish that we, you know, we lived in Mobile, Alabama for about ooh, 10, 10 or 11 years, yeah. which is not, you, you don't think, you think seafood when you're down there, yeah. but there's this place called, um, uh, shoot, it's called, I don't remember the name of it, but, um, it was, it was this chicken francais over a, with, mm. with all this white sauce over a bed of pasta that I still dream about. Oh, uh, Gambino's. That's the name of the restaurant. So Gambino's. if you're in the mobile area, go down to Gambino's, get the chicken francais. Mm. Uh, they, all the seafood's here. It's just on mine. Okay. Sauce. The question I was going to ask, but that, you know, that's fun for our listeners. Uh, when you look back on your Christian music career, because it's really this 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 podcast celebrates yeah. the 80s and 90s Christian yeah, music and our great. favorite artists and songs. Is there an album that really is your favorite? I mean, you 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 went back to the the Brent Bourgeois record or is there a song that, you know, you kind of like, yeah, I can kind of hang my hat on that. That's that that's kind of the the one thing I'm most proud of in my Christian music career. Is there one thing that kind of just pops in your head? You know, I think all things considered, I think that there are, um, I'm, I'll, I'll give two answers. Um, the Loving Kind, which is a record that, that Brent Bourgeois produced, which was like a record about the last eight days of the life of Christ. Um, so that was a very meaningful record in terms of like my creative expression of my faith you know that was a very important record um and listen of course was a was creatively i think i'm really proud of that from that era but i but i don't want to forget i will be free which mark hammond produced which was on my second record um i will be free i think i will forever be really proud of of that song and and what mark did on that song and that's and that song for me, because it came out of a time of like, I was in a deep depression and just struggling in my life. And so that record uh, was a, 
I was, it was a record where I was struggling in my personal life so much, but that song uh, was really kind of a, a hope for my life that I, you know, I didn't feel free, but I was trying to, I was trying to make a statement that I will be, you know, and that, and then we're all kind of struggling to feel this like freedom in Christ. And sometimes, you know, you, you fake it before you make it. And, um, and so I think, I think I will be free is a song that, and I don't always, I always sing how I could ask for more, but I don't always sing I will be free, but I've been thinking about that song more lately just because, um, you know, it's really special. Hey, and I've got it up. So I have a little idea to run by your audience members here, All right. but I am working on it's it, I've been thinking about doing this for years, but I, so, cause now what I do is like a bit more Americana and folky, right? So all organic instruments and, but, um, I want to do a folk version of some of my nineties pop dance hits. And, um, so I, I, what do you think about that? I think you should. I think if it's, I, I love these, those ideas that pop up, you go, am I crazy? Am I or should I do this? And I think the craziest ideas are the best ones because it's, yeah, heck yeah, do it. If I do it, will you come sing a, a, a beautiful, like Vince Gill-ish, like uh, vocal on it? Would you do that? That'd be so awesome. Uh, well, of course, you know, twist my arm. Go. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You've got my phone number. Call me. I'll be okay. there in a heartbeat. Okay. That would be honored. If obviously Vince Gill's not available, then call me. Then, well, no. Yeah. You're, you're first. You're first. Because this is <laughs> my 90s. Come on now. Okay. All right. You, I see where you're going. you were the Vince Gill. Like, if you like Vince Gill, you will like Andy. Like, okay. Oh, that come was on. I can't live up to that. Did you ever meet him? Did he ever hear you sing? I, you know, I have no idea. Um, I don't think I've ever really, like, I've met him in passing. Yeah. But I know Amy. But yeah. I yeah, just, yeah. I, I've never really sat down and had time with Vince. But, um, no, that would be. I would, would think he'd be a big fan of your voice. Well, that would be kind. I'm a big fan of his for sure. Yeah, yeah, and oh, yeah. Oh, a big yeah. influence in my life. Yeah. yeah. So that's awesome. Okay. Well. Whew. Well, thank you so much for taking time yeah. to do this, and you know, thanks for making me feel good. I'm that that was pretty awesome. Uh, but I love <laughs> all these stories. I love. I just love that. You know that you're continuing on. You've got a great. You've got a great past career. You've got a great future career. And it's it's just so amazing. And I just I just love to see my friends from that era just continue to to make art and continue to go forward and not be bound by, well, that's over. I can't do anything else now. So well uh, and congratulations I, on everything. Oh man, thank you so much. And you know, I I appreciate that. And I, I feel I feel a huge amount of gratitude because I think just like what you're doing right now, like, you know, the, the, the art form of, of, I love podcasts. I mean, that's such a huge art form now in terms of like, how do you tell a good story? You know, how do you, how do you, uh, how, how do you have a great conversation that will inspire people? And I love that about podcasts. And, um, and, you know, I think in terms of, um, turning the page on a certain moment in your life. I think that's kind of the beauty of, if there is a beauty for streaming music and independent music, 
even though it in some ways obliterated an entire industry of music yeah, on, that we as we mm -hmm. knew it but on the other hand it made it possible to for people to have a, a, a kind of career that was successful but not in the traditional way that people thought of, of things being successful so i i guess that i just feel so grateful that that we're all still creating something that is making an impact and that and that may and that may be in varying degrees um but but we're we're not hiding the gift we're hi not hiding the light under a bushel we're, and we're not letting our gifts lay in the ground you know we're using them and that to me is what matters Hey, thanks for hanging out with me today on the One Degree of Andy podcast. Make sure to subscribe and follow for more stories from the Christian music industry and beyond. And leave me a review if you like what you're hearing. And if you want more content like this, along with a lot of great music, join me for Worship with Andy Christman, airing on 500 stations around the world every weekend. And when you get a sec, run over to my website, andychrisman.net, for information about my professional vocal coaching and an incredible new resource for worship pastors called The Worship Table. See you next time on the One Degree of Andy podcast.